The local church is a collection of people who are being transformed by Jesus, who live in a community purposefully to model and proclaim Jesus. Scripture tells us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Every story is unique. Each person is an individual who has met Jesus. All of us have strengths and weaknesses. Together, we are the church, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. I'm Jeff Luddington, and today I have a good friend, one of our leaders, Reggie Jackson. And no, not the famous baseball player, a much nicer guy. Reggie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I am well, man. Reggie and I, we've, we connected uh, over our shared experience. He is married to Marcia Jackson, and I work with Marcia Jackson, and we both commiserate over the craziness <laughs> that is Marcia Jackson. If you're listening, we also did an interview, a, uh, a podcast episode with Chris Jackson. That's actually his son. And kind of near the middle, late part of Chris's story, he mentions his father. And he has this experience that actually Reggie's going to talk about today. So if you're listening, we're in our series called Stories of Faith, How Jesus Intersects Lives in the Church. And so, Reggie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to go all the way back. And um, I think this is a cool part of your story. But take me back to the beginning of your faith. Where does that start? It starts in the beginning. I grew up with my grandparents, and my grandfather was the pastor of the church. So I was always at the church. All right. I mean, this church is where? Uh, in Compton. Okay. So you is it a primarily black church, I think? Is yes. that correct? Okay. So yes. Grandpa pastors this church in Compton, and you grow up in it. And um, I asked you earlier, because I know Marcia shared this with me in the past, um, you were there uh, during the Watts riots, Compton riots back, I think that's, I want to say late 60s, I could be wrong about that, but yes. you said you're about 12 years old. What was your experience with that? Uh, it first started, I was working at my grandfather's job with him. He worked at the Hollywood Market up in Hollywood Boulevard, and I was working the newsstand, and I noticed on one of the newspapers that was talking about a riot, I really didn't know what that meant at the time. Hmm. But the following Sunday when we was at our church in Compton, I happened to be standing outside getting some fresh air, and I noticed there was tanks and jeeps and troopers coming down the street. And I really didn't know what it was all about. And one of them happened to look at me and ask me what was I doing. I told him I was just getting some air standing outside the church. He told me to go back inside, tell everybody to stay inside. So I did just that. <laughs> so National Guard's coming down the street with tanks and military, I mean, personnel. And you're standing outside like, okay, what is this? So you were, to not be aware of it, you were actually pretty close to the epicenter of where it was taking place, right? Yes, it was maybe a mile away. Wow, okay, so... I, just real quick, I'm just going to kind of press, I want to press in there. So being black in Compton, Watts, that in that era where there was a lot of explicit racism, I mean, there was a lot of things that are not the same as they are today. Um, did you ever have like those negative encounters with police? All the time. Okay. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it really didn't happen much when I was young, but 
once I became a teenager and started really getting around out on my own, yeah, I was stopped all the time. I remember once, uh, me and f three other friends of mine, we worked at Zodi's. It's like a yeah. target. It's like Target now. Right. And we were bagging groceries, stuff like that, clothes, and uh, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. Happened to come through the store. All and right. She had like four or five cartloads of groceries, and we would take them out to her car and thought we were going to get a big tip because she was a star. <laughs> and instead, she just walked up and gave each one of us a kiss, which was still <laughs> kind of a big it? deal at the time. Yeah. All right. Say, oh, Debbie Reynolds, the big star. Oh, wow. Yeah. If, if you don't know who that is, if you're listening, yeah, you go back to the 60s and 70s. Debbie Reynolds was huge. Yes. Huge, huge family, Hollywood. Okay, cool. So you've had negative experiences. It's like kind of the walking well black, driving well black. You've yeah. had that. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was, uh, we're on our way home, and they pull us over and stop us. Pull us all out, put us on the curb. We're wondering what's going on. We're in our uniforms. And sure. they open the trunk, and they know we got a bunch of stuff from Target. But we worked there, had our receipts. Right. And the first thing they tell us, oh, we stopped you. It was four black guys in a car like yours, and they did a robbery. Right. <laughs> and we're looking at them like, look at us. Right. Do we, we look like came, robbers? Right. Yeah, we we're in uniforms. That one. All right. You know, stuff like that. Standing on a bus corner, and they pull up and ask me, what am I doing? I'm, I'm on my way going to see Marsha at her house. All right. Why are you wearing those gloves and the jacket? It's cold out here. <laughs> are you trying to break into somebody's house? No. They take me in, take me down, realize nothing goes on, let me go, and I'm thinking they're going to take me back home. No. Of course, you got to walk home. Right, so, right. You know, stuff like that. So. All right. So Constantly. the police transit system. All right. So <laughs> you've had those experiences, and I think... Um, I think that speaks to a, a greater cultural issue that we have today. We'll talk about that in a few minutes because you've had also, I think, somewhat some opposite experience, experiences. Like, I mean, like the National Guard was pretty cool to you when that happened. Mm -hmm. um, yet you've had some negative police contact. But you said the M word. So you said Marsha. So let's let's kind of head there. So how do you meet your wife? And you guys have been married now for how long? It's like 40 years, though, right? I mean. 43, 44. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. By the way, you should be nominated for sainthood. <laughs> All right. So how do you meet Marcia? Uh, our best friends was trying to get us together, and we both refused to do it. It was kind of like a blind date thing. Got a girl for you to meet. I got a guy for you to meet. And we both, no, 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 it's not going to work. So they tricked us. They, they took, uh, took me to, she was the cousin of one of my friend's, and he dated the cousin. We went to her, her house, and when the door opened, Marsha opened the door, and they looked at both of us like it was a surprise, but we know they planned it. <laughs> the first thing she did was close the door. She just ignored it, like, <laughs> this is not going to happen. So her cousin came back, opened the door. We ended up talking anyway, and lo and behold, like you say, here we are 40-something years later. Wow. And almost every friend we knew, none of them <laughs> stayed together. Okay. Not one. All right. Well, again, because that is because you are a saint. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to tell the story where you're actually not a saint yet. So uh, if I heard you correctly uh, when we were prepping for this, you guys were married in 1975. Yes. Ooh, that's a while ago. All right. So you grow up in the church. And uh, you, uh, you know, raised, you know, your grandfather and that. Did you stay with your faith uh, once you like be became a young man? No, 
you know, in my grandfather's church, I really didn't get the word like I should have. It was uh, uh, like a holy roller church. Okay, yeah. You know, there was a lot of altar calls, stuff like that. So I didn't really know how to connect with God like I should have. Okay. And I think that's why once I turned 18, I just went away from it. Okay. Because I was... I was doing the altar calls, hours, praying, sweating, and trying to do whatever it was they wanted me to do, and it just wasn't working. I yeah. thought I was supposed to feel something or like a bolt of lightning come down and hit okay. you and happen, and it just wasn't happening. So I'm thinking, <laughs> maybe I'm not worthy. All right. So I just left the church. So let me give a little snapshot for people that are listening. So if you're a part of Generations, I mean, it's a, this is, it's a world apart from, from that style of church. And in the very charismatic Pentecostal um, churches, there's a lot of experience. Uh, if you feel something that day, you had a good service. If you don't, chances are maybe you're in sin or, or the Holy Spirit didn't show up or whatever. So it's very feelings or experience driven. And... There are perpetual, like each week has an altar call, so you're always coming back to faith. So it's like you start out with your faith at the end of a Sunday service strong, and then by Sunday night, Monday morning, maybe you're drifting, and you know. And so there's this constant returning, which can be uh, could be taxing, I think, on your faith. So, um, and since it's experience, it's not always a whole lot of scripture, and so that was kind of part that you were missing. So. Mm -hmm. You say rebellion, so you turn 18, you become a young man. What kind of rebellion did you do? Everything. I left the church. Well, my first experience with drugs wasn't until I was 18. Okay. I had an argument. With, well, I can remember it clear as day. I had an argument with my grandparents. Went to school. That school wasn't even out. I was still a senior. Went to school that day. I happened to work in the audiovisual department where you go and you set up the projectors because they had the big reel-to-reels back then. Right, right. You go and you set up the projectors for the classes and then you're done. Right. And you just stand around till the film is over and then you break everything down and take it back to the, to the room. So one of the guys there, we didn't have any supervision. No teachers were around. <laughs> so the guys used to smoke. They used to smoke weed and just do stuff right there in the room. Right. Nobody came around. So just so happened that day, I was pissed off. I was pissed off enough to uh, the guy offered me a joint. I said yes. All right, give it, give it to me, <laughs> and that was the start of it. And that was the beginning. That was of the beginning. Drug use. So drug, drug use, use progressed. It progressed from there. I went from using weed to well, actually. I got to where I was a drug dealer myself. Okay. I ended up selling drugs, and I would sell you the paraphernalia to go with it. Okay. Well, so, you're an entrepreneur. Yes. All right. Yes. So you meet Marsha, and I don't imagine Marsha puts up with a whole lot of that. No. Okay. I mean, if anybody knows Marsha, I'm going to guess that's there's not a whole lot of tolerance for that. Now, you ha eventually both, I know you and Marsha are both Marines, and so you eventually end up in the Marines. How'd you get there? Got in trouble with the law for the first time. Ended up going to court judge gave me options he said you can either stick with just probation or if you happen to do something like going to the military and i think he was trying to give me a hint right uh and then i'll drop everything so uh, i was dating marcia at the time 
and we both talked about it and she convinced me to go ahead and give it a try it'd be something different I'd get away from all the old guys i was hanging out with getting sure. in trouble with so i was 21 and looked like things wasn't going in the right direction so i gave it a shot okay did you guys join together yes okay so you guys both enlist you become marines you do your time where this is uh this is so just based on timeline vietnam's winding down and uh you get married you're a marine did they send you anywhere interesting yeah in 77 through 78 they sent me overseas to japan and i went up doing uh some stops in the philippines and korea so the western kind of theater yeah the western asian theater right okay yeah. so all right, so you do this, you get out of the Marines, and you settle back down. Um, you guys, uh, just if I, if I understand this correctly, you guys have been in Anaheim for like the last 30 years. Is that right? Right. So you settle here, you're married. Is that when you guys start a family? Yes. Okay. So again, we did a podcast episode with Chris, but you also have an older son named Aaron, right? Yes. Like he's about five years older than Chris or something Yeah, like that. he's 43 now. Okay, cool. So... When you get out, I know the Marines don't have a lot of tolerance for things back then. You settle down with Marsha. You start to create a family. Were you out of the drugs by then, or, or what goes on? The drugs started back up again. Okay. That's when the drugs started back up again. Once I got out of the service, I struggled getting a job. Okay. I think I struggled not necessarily getting the job, but keeping the job. Okay. I ended up working a graveyard shift, and that's what started it again. I was working from 12 to 6, 7, 8 in the morning. Right. And during the summer times when the kids was out of school, Marshall would go to work. I'm at home trying to take care of the kids during the day, but yet I'm trying to go to work at night. Right. So okay. when do I sleep? When do I do all this other stuff? Right. So a friend at work late at night saw me about to fall. I'm falling asleep. I'm just not making it. So what does he do? Try this, and that's first cocaine. time I tried some speed, something. Oh, speed! Okay, yeah. You know, some kind, and it wasn't cocaine; it was speed. Got it. So I said, okay, and I noticed it. Oh, perked me up. Yeah, kept me up, kept me going. So I, that's what started the downhill trend on the heavy drugs. All and right. Then from there, I went to cocaine. All right. So you're not in the church. So you left the church by the time you were 18. So you. Marcia, and Marcia doesn't have a church background like this, right? No. So where does, what's the crisis moment? What's the thing that kind of pivots you back towards Jesus? I finally hit rock bottom. Okay, tell me about that. Yeah, I had been using, like, I got a little lump of money from a, a settlement. And I had like two or three grand on me. And for a drug addict, that's a lot. It's enough, yeah. So I, instead of letting her know that I got the settlement, I was doing all this stuff behind her back because she was working. I was working at night. I was off during the day. Then I ended up losing the night job because of the drug use. Got to where I wasn't functioning properly. Right. Was coming in late, turning up, not doing my work right. Ended up losing that job and then going from job to job. And I think it just got worse. Mm. Yeah. So where did it stop? So I'm in the garage. I got the garage set up to where I can do everything I want to do. 
where nobody noticed it. All the bad things. All the bad things. Right. I would tell her I'm going to a friend's house, and the garage was like out in the back. Okay. It was like one of those uh, universal garages where you go out and you park your car. So I would go, act like I'm leaving, go out into the garage, shut the garage, turn on the light, and do my thing. Okay. And you're doing that stuff, and you don't realize how time goes by. So <laughs> I'm out there, and the next thing I know is morning, Sunday morning, the garage opens, and I'm in a panic wondering, why is the garage opening? Who is this opening the garage? I'm getting ready to get caught. And it's Marsha and Chris standing there. And he's uh -oh. five, I think. And they both just looked at me, and I froze. I didn't know what else to do. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm busted. And we had already had the conversation of me stopping this. Okay. Because I had tried a few times on my own sure. to stop, and it didn't work. Then the minute I got that lump of money, I was back at it again. So they just looked at me, looked at each other, and she looked at him and said, there's your father, and then closed the garage. Wow. And that was the first time you know her, Marsha. Yeah. That was the first time she didn't say anything. Which is nearly a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to listen to this and come in and punch me. I know that. Left me standing there with my mouth open. Okay. So I didn't know what to do. I felt like that was it. It was over yeah so this could be the end of your marriage your you know raising your boys all of it because i can hear her telling him it's over right it's done so knowing who god was right i've always believed there was god i think that's why i was so frustrating when i was doing the altar calls and was trying to get it i've always knew i believed in god and i knew he was there and i wanted him in my life right but it just wasn't happening the way they say it should have happened. So I thought it wasn't going to happen. So I knew what to do. The first thing I did was drop to my knees and start praying. And I asked God to help me. Let me ask you a question. In the, in the years prior to that, um, did you have much of a prayer life? Like when, you know, you, you said you and Marcia had talked about quitting drugs prior had you prayed about it prior? Had you had a, any kind of prayer life since, you know, like 18-ish on forward? No. I, I was trying to do it on my own. Okay. Yeah, I had completely forgot about even asking God to help me. And so this wasn't some Hail Mary prayer you throw, like when you get the handcuffs on and then forget about it come the next day. No. This was a legitimate cry for help to God. I knew this. That it, that's why I say it, it felt like this was the bottom. Yeah, was and that's, bottom. that's a lot like my story. Mine starts with a prayer line in a moment like that. And so, okay, so you pray this prayer. What's the, you have to eventually come out of the garage and somehow see Marsha, nevertheless, your boys. But, you know, so what happens next? I say the prayer, and I still didn't know what to do. Came out of the garage, and she already told me I was done. So I first tried to go back into the house. Wasn't allowed back into the house. Okay. I was done. I left. And didn't know where I was going to go. For the first time in my life, I'm standing out there in the back by the alley, by the garage, wondering, where do I go? What do I do now? Now, just you a little really commentary. Up. If someone's listening right now, listening right now, and they don't know Marsha, they don't, maybe they don't go to Generations Church. Let's be honest about this. Marsha's about five foot nothing. She weighs like 85 pounds soaking wet if she's got rocks in her pockets. <laughs> but she's scary, right? I mean, she could be intimidating. She is a force of nature. And so she has said, you're not allowed back in, okay? So you've prayed, what do you do about your faith? What, how do, what's your next step with God? 
while I was standing out there at the fence, not knowing what to do, I asked God if you just give me another chance to make this right. I'm going to make it right. Okay. So. And you meant it. Yes. So five minutes later, I'm still standing there, not knowing what to do. Chris walks out, waves at me, calls me back to the house. And Marsha tells me, she says, the only reason she gave me another chance was because he asked her to. Mm. He said, give him another chance. I guess he looked at me and saw. I mean, he didn't like it, but. Sure. So she, she went with that. And she called me in and she told me what I had to do. What did she I, tell you? She told me I needed to make sure I was going to get my act together, clean up, go to church, which I said I was going to do, but I didn't do. So that following Sunday, I think that whole week, I was trying my best to just behave. Sure. And that following Sunday, when it came time to go to church, I was getting dressed to go, and they weren't. And I was kind of wondering about that. But I just kept getting dressed anyway. Okay. So she said, you going? I said, yeah. I said, you guys coming? She said, no. Okay. I said, okay. So I went. And I think she was just testing me. She went to see if I really wanted to do it. Okay. So I went, ended up talking to one of the elders at Not Avenue Christian Church. was maybe four or five blocks away. I could have walked to that church. Yeah. And uh, he talked to me. Counseled me, came back out to the house maybe a week later, uh, asked me about getting baptized, stuff like that. He wanted to see if I was still doing okay. I said, yes, but it was a struggle. So he asked me if I wanted to see a counselor. I said, sure, because I really wanted to get this gone. Right. Because I had tried three or four or five times on my own. I would make it about a week, okay, two weeks, and then there it is back again. So I said, sure. So he sent me out to Pacific Christian College, and there was a counselor there. I can't remember his first name. Anderson was his last name. And mm-hmm. he counseled me. He always started to counsel off with prayer. He started off with a prayer. Then he ended with a prayer. And he, he tried to make the session based around God more than what man is doing. Okay. So he was trying to lead me in that direction. But he was also telling me to seek that help too. Sure. If there's any, uh, not AA meetings, but they had CA meetings, right. cocaine anonymous meetings. Right. So he sent me to one of those. First time I went to one, walked in, looked around, walked out. Right. You know, like yeah. that, from what I hear, that was a normal thing. Walked in, looked around, heard everybody sure. talking, figuring my story was too bad, so I walked out. Then I ended up going back again, hearing other people's story. I actually sat and listened and heard other people's stories and heard how much worse <laughs> some of them were than mine and was thinking, wow, I guess I'm not the worst person there is out here. You know, a whole lot of people just meant stuff worse than I have. And right. they're here. And they're changed. And they're making it. So I s- decided to give it a shot. Okay. So CA, if people listen, if they go to AA or if NA, which is narcotic, CA, cocaine, um, CA back in the day was like, it's not the, it's today I think it's more um, kind of upper middle class. Like CA had a lot of like crack addiction. I mean, this isn't the height of crack addiction, things like that, right? So you got to hear some pretty gnarly stories of people whose lives are, are trashed because of drug use. And so you with a wife and two boys at home, no matter how angry they might be or, or hurt, 
you got a shot. Like you feel that you sense a, uh, you got a sense of a shot, and you've got a counselor, you got a church that wraps around you. That's got to give you some encouragement. It did, it did. Well, shout out to Not Avenue, man. They're still around. They're still doing it. Um, I've got friends that are there and have known people on pastors and different people on staff throughout there. Mm-hmm. I know Not Avenue kind of gets you and I together in a way. So at Not Avenue, you've got Jose and Karen Torres and Brandon and April Torres and. Eventually, they leave to plant a church, and you go with them. Right. In fact, same church, if you're listening now, and you remember Ashley, who is now Baires, used mm-hmm. to be Ashley Salazar. Mm-hmm. She went to that church. Her parents went to that church. And I don't say this a whole lot, and I hope Marcia doesn't hear this, but <laughs> actually, Ashley says Marcia made a big dent in her life, right? And so... Was her, Sunday, her Sunday school teacher. Yeah, yeah, right. I try to never tell Marcia she's doing <laughs> anything right. So, I, you know, I don't do that. All right, so... Anyhow, so this church plant happens, and the church plant exists for several years, and then when it finally folds up, uh, the, those that remain end up over at Park Church, where I'm the senior pastor. And so that gets you and I together, mm-hmm. you know, through a series of steps over the years, and here we sit today where you're a key leader here, uh, our lead deacon, your wife is both you know, kind of the office manager here and mm-hmm. a deacon um, yeah, man. And here we sit. So I would so you, you've been very clear. Faith is what changed um, not only your addiction, um, but you. How did that begin to shape your life as a husband and a father? Maybe a better husband, better father, no doubt. Immediately or, or how did it take place? Yeah, I will say immediately. Okay. Yes. Just kind of like put you back on track and able to value the right things maybe or what yeah and it took time sure it took time like you said we're dealing with marcia <laughs> so <laughs> I, a whole year it took a whole year went by before she actually walked it to me and finally told me that everything was okay okay completely well it was years of drug use right yes so to be fair yes walking it out over a year isn't unheard of. No, and I, I just knew. I just had to. There was times where she didn't, still didn't trust me or believe me, but I knew I was doing the right thing. So I just stuck with my faith, stuck with, kept doing what was right, and just was patient. Yeah. And the guy was telling me I had to be patient. I mean, it's not like what you did was a right. good thing. So be patient with her. Give her time. Yeah. Well, if you're a listener right now and you hear this story and you've never used, like Reggie and I both have this addiction background, and so we come from a similar perspective. But when I mentioned Chris Jackson, uh, or you know, Reggie will call him Christopher, uh, Chris, his story a few episodes back, his life changed in that moment too. He's outside the garage when the garage is opened up, and and Chris talks about that moment from his perspective. And if if you've not used Uh, or you've been affected by others that use, you should go back and listen to Chris's version and how, yeah, and how God impacts him through that as well. But while we have Reggie, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. So uh, today, I'm going to ask you two kind of questions. Today, I know you and Marsha very well, and I joke about Marsha, but I love her deeply. Love you. Love Chris. Your grandkids are here. I mean, I love it. But today... You are the leader in your house. You are the spiritual leader. And that doesn't mean that Marcia is any kind of second-class citizen. She's not. 
but you you hold the role of a biblical husband and spiritual leader in your home. Tell me, just get me from you're a train wreck and Marsha's the strong one to today. Tell me just some key things that changed between then and now. I think maybe just putting my trust, more trust in God and following through on what the Bible says you need to do to stay strong and to be faithful. Uh, stuff I wasn't doing before, like the studying, mm -hmm. reading, uh, you know, the things beyond just coming to church. Sure. And she's been a big influence on me as far as that because she's a big reader. Right. So the one thing she was telling me, do you don't read enough. You don't study enough. You need to make sure you do it every day, not once a week, not once a month. So the minute I started doing it daily, that's what really changed my life. Hmm. That's awesome. And now I can't go a day without doing it. If I happen to go to bed without doing that one-on-one -on -one time with God, I'll get up hmm. and do it anyway, then go back to bed. Because I do mine at night. Yeah. She does hers in the morning, I do mine at night. So. Yep. All right. So I, I just want to say this. I, I know there are men and women out there who are either, um, you know, living together or engaged or married or wherever you are on the spectrum, dating, I don't know, wherever you are, uh, where the woman is often, um, I, I don't want to say more spiritual, I want to say more committed to her faith. And there's always this, this struggle, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hard on couples in that place, like, hey, unless, you know, Women, look for a man who can lead you in your faith, lead you closer to God. And I always tell men, look for women who are passionate about Jesus, who are going to make you more passionate about Jesus, who will support you and love you and pray for you. And, you know, like Marcia did, draw you and make you passionate about your relationship with God. Everybody's got their role. We are equal but different. Mm -hmm. And you're a story of real life change, a dude who was not a good husband, good father, good Christian, you, were, you weren't, and yet you became, and you know, like Chris mentions that, you now are a, an influence, a Christian man influence on your son. That's huge, right? And so you've grown into the man that God has created you to be, not just for the church, but for your wife and for your sons and, and for your grandkids, and I know all of them yes. look up to you and respect you today, and it's an amazing, amazing thing. I got one more question just because the culture that we live in um, talks about this so much and I believe you have a unique perspective. So you've both had negative impact with the police based on your skin color. You've also had some positive things like the, the National Guard experience was actually fairly good. You were raised in a church, it was primarily a black church. You were in Compton, Watts, that area growing up, which is the stereotype of being raised black in America I mean, that's the thing that people look at. It's that, Chicago, New York, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're a Marine, which by the time you got to the Marines, there was no, they barely noticed what color you were, right? Green, you were, a, yeah, you were a Marine. You were great, exactly. Yeah. You were green. <laughs> and, and yet you have some of the, the cultural struggles, the drugs, the cocaine, the things like that, that do plague the black community. Um, and yet you also overcome them. Like you have a marriage that outlasted all your friends. And so... I just think you have a, a, a unique take on being black in America. And so just 
when you hear the conversation, and I don't mean politically or anything else, but how does your faith speak to the conversation about race in America today? Hmm. It is so far out there now. Okay. Well, take me back to your grandfather. He, black pastor in a black neighborhood, did he, how did he treat race? He treated everybody the same. Okay. Yeah, he's, he was one of those pastors that, uh, he believed in the part of the Bible where it says, treat everybody the same, open up your house, yeah. somebody needs help, help them. So that was the one thing, growing up with him, with them, that was the one thing I didn't like really at the time because being the youngest, whenever he would bring somebody new into the house, it was always my bedroom. I had to give it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, we got this That's person funny. staying in, you know, somebody grown, and they would move me out into the living room, whatever, give them the bedroom, and then three or four, six months later after they finally got their own place, then I'd get my bedroom back. Right. And a couple of months later, here comes somebody else. So <laughs> That's funny. But it was, he was doing a good thing. Well, he, didn't I see complain, people, he didn't see people based on the color of their skin. No. And so you've had both good and bad experiences. What would you say to somebody today who, because our church is fairly diverse. People don't, I don't know, maybe they see me and assume it's a primarily white church or whatever else, but our church is super diverse. It's probably 30% Hispanic, 30% Asian, 30% white, 10% black. I mm -hmm. mean, just on, a, on any given Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, for people that see Christianity as a religion that is very segregated or very, you know, not maybe not very ethnically where they are, how have, have you experienced that at all ever in your faith? Not really. Hmm. And I think the few times I did, I, I ignored it. Okay. You think the church in America is a place where we can be a positive impact on race and culture? I think we can. Yeah. Okay. How might I don't we? Know how good of a job we're doing at nah, it? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different conversation. Yeah. But what would be one or two things that the church today, whether you're black, white, or you know, pink, purple, an elephant, doesn't matter, whatever. How could someone? What do they need to hear about race from your perspective? That they could just maybe a positive thing and, and an attribute, a thing the church could do better. Totally putting you on the spot, so. Hmm. I don't know. It seems like we're, well, I know here we're trying to do more like corporate prayer mm -hmm. and get together and pray more for everything. Okay. So, yeah, maybe we just need to do more prayer. Okay, together. I didn't see that answer coming. That's really cool. So the more we gather together, no matter who the we is, right? No matter right. who we are, right? gather together and pray, that bonds us together. It doesn't yes. matter if I'm white, you're black. It doesn't matter. Right. At that point, we're praying we're Christians. Yes. And if we're praying for the world we live in, and if we're praying for the needs of the world we live in, uh, we can make a positive impact. Yeah, I think that so. Was, that was unpolitical. That was unactivist. That was so good, Reggie. I'm, s I'm actually super glad I asked you that question. I didn't see that answer coming. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate that. Well, hey, if you're listening right now, that's why we do this. Stories of faith. Tell the stories of how Jesus engages every single life. And as we work our way through people in this church, we're 
sharing how Jesus met them in their unique circumstances. And my story might resonate with somebody and then Reggie's someone else's. And so if you're listening and you think this story would be appropriate for someone else, I would encourage you to share it like this, subscribe to it and listen. Each week we we share a new story, a new story of grace, a new story of faith here on this podcast. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this story about how Jesus made a difference. Generations Church is filled with ordinary people who met an extraordinary Savior. Subscribe so you don't miss a single story. Would you stop and share this with one friend today? The story of Jesus is most easily seen in the lives of people who know Him. Thank you.